Hey, 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 what's going on, everyone? You are now listening to Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown. This is Resilience in Action with Aaron Brown, and I am here with Priscilla Fleming. Priscilla is a licensed massage therapist. Thank you for hanging out with us today, Priscilla P. Fleming. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) We're excited to have you here. (laughs) Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I almost just fell off this chair. Okay. I'm Priscilla Fleming. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm Priscilla Fleming. I'm a licensed massage therapist. I'm a small business owner and I'm a published author. Um, I'm from Philly, but I spent most of my life in South Jersey and the last eight years in North Carolina. I'm the mother of three fabulous fur children and the wife to the most amazing human I've ever met in my life. Awesome. 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 (laughs) So let's start with you're from Philly. Um, let's talk about like growing up. What was that like in in Philadelphia? Well, I, so my family's all from Philly. Both my parents are from Philly. My mom's from Kensington. She actually still has a shop in Kensington. Like she has her own business. It's still in the heart of Kensington. And I don't know if you're super familiar with the area and what it looks like today. Um, but it's basically Philly Skid Row at this Mm -hmm. point. So we don't yeah. go there often. Yeah. Um, a lot of zombies out there. Yeah. Yeah. We went, I think we went home for Christmas and I, we went to my mom's shop and it was just, it was, it was a sight for me because I've mm-hmm. obviously been in North Carolina for the last eight years. I haven't really been, but just seeing the strip where we would used to go and play or we would go shopping or in the little corner stores and then seeing all of that just gone, the face and the, the zombies as you will, or as my mom calls them, the dippers, is just swaying in the street. It was very, it was sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but we lived in Fishtown for a little while. And then we moved to South Jersey when I was like five or so. So I wasn't really raised in Philly, except gotcha. for going there like every weekend to hang out with like the grandparents and my cousins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm mostly from the Sickleville Winslow area in Jersey. Okay. Which was very different <laughs> more more I don't even want to call it suburban because it's all like trees <laughs> like like a lot of nothing and then a you whole go bunch so of you're there. yeah a whole bunch of nothing so you're there all week and then you go to the city for the weekend and it's just like two I feel like drastically different <laughs> lives you're living almost and um how was <clears throat> How was growing up in South Jersey? What was that like? Um, I mean, it was fun. I was the super weird kid. Um, we didn't. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. We were like kind of the white trash family in there. I'm sure if my parents listen to this, they're gonna be really upset that I said that. But facts is facts. Um, But I was super weird. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I spent most of my time. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. Anybody listen to this? Don't judge me. But it's who I am as a person. 
I spent a lot of my time hanging out in the sewer system because there was a field right next to my house where all of the sewers kind of met. We called it the pit. And I would just, it would be where all the tunnels came, which was super cool to me. Like I was a ninja turtle in real time. So just hanging out in this tunnel system with all of these bugs, doing my little drawings and my doodles, pretending to be a ninja turtle, is living my best life. Which explains your fascination with bugs to this day. <laughs> yeah, because they were like my only friends growing up. <laughs> Well, you know, you know they'll never run out on you. No, but if I if I if I'm being honest, I do have a because I post pictures holding them. But I'm I'm have a healthy fear. Like I feel like consent still matters, right? Like don't touch me unless I want to be touched. So if one just randomly flies on me, I'm panicked just a little bit, just just a little bit. <laughs> now, by panic, are you panic swatting? Or you panic brushing or just like freezing? A, more of a brusher. It depends on the bug. So I try not to swat or kill if I don't have to. Um, I'm, I'm usually catch and release. Like I'll pick up a spider if it's on me. It's terrifying, but I'll do it. Um, the, the biggest one for me are going to be the roaches. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with North Carolina roaches, but they're the same size as my chihuahua. These, yeah, they're so big. They're so yes. big. And you can hear them. They're like, put it, put it, put it, put it, put it. And it's just <laughs> so horrifying. I straight scream. I have a sound that comes out that is apparently really recognizable. So my husband hears it. He knows immediately that there's a roach that he needs to come and get away from me. Because I go in freeze mode. I scream and I turn off the light. <laughs> and then I just stand there. So they can't see me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't see it. <laughs> yeah those and roaches those, are huge they're so big they're so big and there's and then, it's like so disrespectful because <laughs> you think, when you think about roaches like you think about like maybe like somebody's house is dirty or whatever the case be no these roaches are just like outside i'm never forget yeah. i was going to i was going i was working at home before i was going to work and somebody like kicked something like a football out the door and i was like what was that uh, legitimately like a roach yeah those things like all of my experience so in philly roaches means that there's an infestation and there's a serious problem mm -hmm. in jersey those things fly and they always would land in my hair consistently <laughs> and then here they're like this big and they're size of my dog and it's just and they bite back like there was one in our house that my husband went to get and it charged at him like full-blown charge <laughs> and i was like okay so now my mind they fight back and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I got hands in the cockroach. It's insane. And then we looked up, um, because when it fought back, we were like, okay, just curiosity. Do they bite? Because if they don't bite, then we can just handle it gracefully. Uh -huh. But Alexa, Alexa's going to go and be like, oh, cockroaches eat human flesh. Just like that, nonchalantly. And my logical brain knows that they're probably part of the decomposition process. But my irrational, afraid of roaches brain goes, okay, they bite, they're in my house, and I'm on the food chain. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the food chain. And I know they fight back, so they're probably plotting against me right now, y'all. Right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Like, I didn't need that. I didn't need that information. <laughs> like, thanks a lot, Alexa. Okay. <laughs> okay, you... You were you um from Philly, grew up in South Jersey, 
um, moved to North Carolina. When did you move to North Carolina? Well, I moved here in 2014, the summer of 2014. <clears throat> um, David and I started dating. We were long distance at the time because he was in the military and he was stationed in Georgia. So we were long distance. And then he got out and ended up getting a job in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I came down to visit and this city is just absolutely beautiful. And it's the complete opposite of anything I've ever known in Philly. Mm -hmm. It's so pretty. Um, and then when he asked me to move down here, I was like, it's a no brainer. I'm definitely, the city is absolutely gorgeous. So I moved down shortly, several months after he did in summer of 2014. Gotcha. 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 It's so strange. Um, because we moved to Gastonia the um, April of 2014. I moved in April and then Bailey moved in like mid to end of May. I used to work right outside of Gastonia. We were like neighbors this whole time. <laughs> this entire time. And an and audience that's listening, um, like neighbors is like whatever. Uh, Pr Priscilla and I kind of grew up together. Yeah. Just want to throw yeah. that in there. Um, <laughs> we we went to school from elementary school all the way to high school. All the way to senior year? Yeah. High school. Yep. Yeah. And, and she had her friends. I had my friends. Um, but I feel like there was always just a, a mutual, like, hmm, okay. Like a mutual, like, respect. Um, so it's just so awesome to see, um, to see us kind of come full circle, like, uh, chilling now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, um, I live in Asheville, which is like two and a half hours away from you. And mm -hmm. I'm still, we still need to plan something, but like, I just wanted the listeners to know that, you know, when we have history <laughs> we have history right and when she said that we grew up with a lot it was a lot of nothing it was a lot of nothing it was trees and dirt <laughs> mm -hmm. which is what most people call the town that we grew up in yep trees and dirt trees and dirt that's what it that's what it was and that's probably what it still is to this day yeah um and I love social media because I love I love seeing everybody that came from there just how much we've all grown and the success that we were able to create in our lives growing up with nothing ish. Nothing. Yeah. And I'm just like back here, just supporting everything, following us on LinkedIn and a couple of us like made scholarships. They have solid scholarships for kids. Mm -hmm. Some of us are great entrepreneurs. I'm just here for it. Like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> we're doing, we, there's, there's, there's some good stuff that came out of, out of trees and dirt. So. So definitely um, patting us on the back. That's a real, they'd be all right. But okay, so you're in North Carolina. <laughs> That's a different conversation. They can have their own episode. <laughs> <laughs> Little do they know. Um, so we were, so you're in North Carolina um, mm -hmm. in 2014. What, what were you doing when you moved here? Um. Well, and I was in Jersey. I was an assistant manager at Wawa. I was on the path to be, I know, it's like, look, I worked there for 10 years. So mm -hmm. when I left, I was so over Wawa. I was like, I care less if I never see another one again. But being away from it, 
I'm like addicted. Every time I go home, as soon as we like get in Virginia, we're like, we have to stop a Wawa. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And we just visit. But I was on track to getting my own store and being a manager. And then I was like, well, so I had to weigh my risk first reward Mm -hmm. on coming here. So then I came here and then I took, I took like a month off of work. And I was mostly doing some volunteer stuff. I was volunteering with the Pitbull Foundation. I was volunteering with the Habitat for Humanity and the Carolina Waterfowl Rescue. So I was doing yeah. a kind of a lot of nonprofit stuff. And then I started working at Habitat. Started working at Habitat for Humanity for a little while. And then I left there and I started working in a veterinary emergency hospital. Uh, what was that yeah. like? That was, uh, that I, I loved that so much. It's a large part of the reason why I'm a massage therapist now. Um, so I was really in animal welfare. Working in the emergency clinic really showed me the love that I have for healthcare. Working in the ICU, helping with surgeries, um, doing lab work, reading the results was just so fulfilling for me but Mm -hmm. on the other side of that it's an emergency clinic so there's a lot of emotional cases that would come through the door as well and then on top of that veterinary medicine is a grossly underpaid industry so you Mm -hmm. have you have all this emotional turmoil when you're coming with the cases and just all that and then you can't afford life outside of it and then also it's an emergency clinic so you're working 12 hour days so you're working all the time non-stop and then there's no you can't even afford a life work balance so I knew that it wasn't sustainable for me personally Mm -hmm. um there's obviously a lot of great veterinarian uh, welfare people out there that make it work and they're doing fantastic work because we obviously need the industry Um, But I knew that I had to go back to school and find something else to do, which kind of landed me towards massage therapy because I wanted to be in healthcare, but I, I needed something that was a little more flexible when it came to schedule and Mm -hmm. a little more emotionally rewarding. So I knew that I didn't want to end up in another emergency clinic because I felt like it would just be more of the same where massage therapy kind of gave me the ability to create my own schedule because most of us work for ourselves but still allow me to be a healthcare professional that's helping people. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Um, what are some of the, <clears throat> some of the challenges that you faced um, during your time in the role as a, a licensed massage therapist? Oh, so <laughs> some of the challenges that I face are uh, sexual solicitation. I just got an expert hand job two weeks ago. So, um, this isn't my last stop as far as where my career goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I love being a massage therapist and I love helping people. However, I don't like being extra hand jobs for strangers. So I know that this also is not sustainable for, <laughs> for me personally. Yeah. So I've, kind of, I've been transitioning into kind of the teaching aspect of massage therapy. Uh-huh. So I, I work, I'm so sorry. Do you hear my dog barking? Nope. Okay, good. So I <laughs> called. <rewind. laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been transitioning into teaching. So I work at a local um, diploma school for okay. students that would like to be massage therapists. 
And then I am also a board approved provider. So I can teach continuing education to massage therapists that are already licensed. And the class that I teach specifically is on sexual harassment and sexual solicitation, kind of signs we can look out for for predators. And then what we can and cannot do when that happens. I'm working with um, the massage magazine currently because Mm -hmm. recently Deshaun Watson has been accused of sexually assaulting 66 massage therapists have come forward against him. And his lawyer has made the very public statement that asking for happy endings is not illegal. So we are now combating that. We're already in a hypersexualized industry. And now there is this very famous person and his lawyer coming out and saying that not only is happy endings not illegal, but you don't need your massage therapist consent to get one. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out how we can move forward as an industry to keep us all safe. I think that is most the most difficult aspect for me for being a massage therapist. Um, I'm I'm sure you've you've um you've had to come in contact with your share of pervs and just disgusting people. Mm-hmm. Didn't wasn't wasn't it a few years ago that there was actually a guy who went like drove like several several hundreds of miles away and like was shooting uh attack two massage parlors um i don't know if that's what i call them now i know there's proper language um but i think there was there was a guy who got angry at something or the other and actually came to one place what it was what is it called the massage parlors oh so i can still massage parlor is fine well massage so massage parlor especially in the the united states anyway massage parlor tends to be a cover for sex trafficking and sexual services so massage studios or spas is kind of the more um legal terms of what we're doing where massage parlor tends to have more of the illegal things that we had the the story that I think you're talking about, um, I want to say it may have happened in Atlanta, but I can't recall. His was not only misogynistic because he targeted massage therapists specifically for sexual gratification, but he also specifically targeted um, Asian spouse. Mm-hmm. So his was misogynistic and racist. Mm, yeah. Um, so I, that was a few years ago that that happened. And it's no... I don't think that it's a coincidence that our industry, which is largely female dominated and largely comes from um, Asian modalities, that we are as hypersexualized and mistreated as we are. So what do you do to combat that? What are you doing? How, how are you trying to change that narrative? Um, I do a lot of educational posts on my social media. Um, I work with some of the leading industries that we have as far as who massage therapists are looking for. I reach out to them a lot about what they're doing to protect us and like asking them for statements for on our behalf, but just right now, generally educating the public on what massage is and what it can and cannot do. We are healthcare professionals. We can legitimately help with pain and relaxation and various other things. And then also kind of educating massage therapists as well. Like, Hey, these are the things that we can look out for for predators, and these are the way that we can keep each other safe. So I think my my role currently in combating this is just education for both us and the public. 
on the stigma that kind of is keeping us locked down and is potentially is very dangerous Mm -hmm. as we know from that story. Absolutely. What does your, how does your husband feel about this? (laughs) So he, um, never liked the fact that I wanted to be a massage therapist. He told me point blank when I was doing it, that he didn't think it was going to be a good fit. Um, and that he was worried for mm-hmm. me and the amount of sexual solicitation that I was going to get. And I, I would think that I was blissfully unaware. Like I knew going into this, there was that stigma and I knew mm-hmm. going into it, I was probably going to get harassed but I didn't think it was going to be as prominent as it is I didn't think I was going to get it as much as I do um the amount of solicitation and harassment that I got when I got licensed I almost quit the industry my first month wow and even still I'm three years in and I'm constantly ready to quit every time something happens and I have to remind myself of what I'm here to do and then how can I ensure that this doesn't happen again um, how can I kind of get away from it? But it still happens more than it should. Yeah, it shouldn't happen at all. First of all, but it's absolutely still, yeah. Absolutely. So he's not—he's not a huge fan. If I were to tell him I want to quit today, he'd probably be super bored. <laughs> like, yeah, let's quit. Let's just get away from this. Let's not ever do this again. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No problem. Thanks. Um, um, but he also—I feel like he understands obviously I worked really hard massage therapists work really hard we deserve to do this we deserve not to be sexually harassed at work so he also does a really great job about calling people out and educating them as far as what massage is and how those jokes are inappropriate and they're really harmful to the industry and potentially dangerous to the therapists themselves so I appreciate his advocacy for us it's awesome it's always great to have the person that means the most to you support you in that in that aspect um yeah they show up for you and and it's special yeah yeah awesome awesome now you and david right i'm gonna mm-hmm. say his name <laughs> that's his name <laughs> that's his name you and david um have been you you dated for how long before you got married Oh, a while. Um, a while. Sorry. <laughs> That's my customer service voice that comes out sometimes. Um, <laughs> we probably dated, we've been together for almost 10 years at this point. We've been married for four. So we probably dated for like five or six years before we got yeah. married. Yeah. How, how, how does our relationship mirror itself? So our separate relationships mirror, like it's uncanny. <laughs> we're just we're just over here living like parallel lives this like, entire time <laughs> like the whole time it's so it's so strange to think about um yeah so okay so what's marriage like I love it I love being married to him more than anything um I I always talk to him so I've been in survival mode like my entire life I've never and no fault to him. He's the greatest person. He has done nothing but show up for me and support me through our entire relationship. But one of my toxic traits is I never attach. I'm always, I'm always one step out. Like I'm always just waiting for the other foot to drop for me Uh to just be inevitably on my own again. I didn't let that guard down until we got married. 
And the second we got married, I feel like it really allowed our relationship to fully come to its full potential. I mm-hmm. finally stopped worrying about that and was like, okay, he's all in. And he, it, it felt more validated. Like I felt like that's, it's exactly what I needed to make sure that he was in and I could, I could let my guard down. And it was the first time in my life that I ever felt like safe. I could breathe. This was a safe space. Mm. And then I was able to really, it's when I went back to school, when I started my own business, I'm not sure I would have done any of that if we didn't get married. Mm-hmm. So I love being married. It's like people always, that we talk about, I, one of my least favorite tropes is hating your spouse. It's my least favorite thing to talk about. But for us, I couldn't even dream of it. He's like, it's so easy. Even in the lockdown, we were stuck with each other 24 seven. It was one of the easiest things I've ever done. Yeah. I love being married. <laughs> <laughs> that is- Which is crazy because I never thought that I would get married. I was like, marriage and kids, not for me. Never, never going to do it. And then I get married and I'm like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Living my best life now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now. All right, so let's get into the meat and potatoes. What has your experience with being in an interracial relationship been like? So it's been, it's been educational for sure. In the beginning, when we first started dating, there was a lot of weirdness from both sides of our respective lives yeah there's a little like resilience kind of weird uncomfortable comments um but it's it's gotten better now it's more we still have like the weird looks from strangers or when we're out in public when we're out in public there are still very blatant times where somebody will only interact with or help one of us and that is solely dependent on which one of us they look like. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so we're like out to eat. Our, our wait staff will only talk to one of us. Uh, we're like, I, we went out to buy our sofa. And I was like, I saved for this. We're going to go buy the sofa. And the guy would not even look in my direction. he wasn't trying to have he wasn't trying to have none of that (laughs) no no so I was like I'm just gonna take my money elsewhere and go buy a sofa for somebody that actually wants to look at me (laughs) so it's been it's definitely been some obstacles um and then I think the biggest obstacle in education is just learning each other's lived experiences Uh obviously we were both taught very different things and we grew up very differently um so having that has been I don't even want to say it's challenging sometimes we get in kind of emotional debates more emotional yeah. on my part not his <laughs> he's usually pretty objective about it but um it's just hey 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 y'all listen it is time for some action if you are enjoying the content that you've been listening to I need you to rate and review That's it. That's all. Make sure you go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review it for us. We appreciate you so much. Let's get back to some resilience. Like being in an interracial relationship, you had to understand like each other's lived lived experiences and 
and trust and believe. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of learning and unlearning on Mm -hmm. both of our parts. Because obviously, as a white woman, I'm allotted a lot more privileges than he is allotted in our day-to-day life. Um, But on the same hand, as a masculine-presenting bisexual woman with large breasts, I also have my own fair share of struggles from Mm -hmm. day to day. So it's it's just, it's a lot of talking to each other and a lot of empathy on both our parts to recognize some of the societal problematic behaviors and the Mm -hmm. systemic problematic behaviors that is kind of keeping us both locked down and um, being able to communicate empathy with each other based off of similar situations that we've been in, but understand there's a fine line between sharing an experience with each other and not kind of overshadowing the other. Cause then mm-hmm. sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll call each other out for what we call the oppression Olympics. We're like, okay, yes, neither one of us will ever fully grasp what it means to be in that situation that the other person is in. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we are talking about this particular situation that is affecting this person. That experience is kind of feels like we're like, okay, well, I have it worked this way, so you should suck it up that way. Yeah. So it, it was a lot of learning those things and kind of learning how to communicate with each other. And then also learning how to advocate for each other when we're out in public or we're yeah. talking to our friends and family. Like, how can we, this behavior isn't okay. You cannot do that. This is affecting this person that I love and our site as a whole, because that is a toxic mentality. Yeah. Like, how can we, how can we communicate and educate and make sure that we are holding space for the other person and making sure that the people that we surround ourselves with are respecting the other person as well. So it was a lot, it was definitely a lot of learning for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree 110%. Um, like I said, our <clears throat> respective relationships or marriages kind of marry each other. Um, Bailey and I have been together for almost 10 years. Um and we we got married in 2018. So, so did we. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and then when it comes to like advocating for each other and with um our our families and you know showing yeah. up for each other when you know when things are being said or like just making sure that you are you have that person's back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very important for any any relationship. It could be a, a friendship, a, a partnership. Like if you have that person's back, um, then you know, no one can just say anything around you. Because I feel like if people say anything around you, there is there's a reason why they feel comfortable with saying whatever it is that they said around you around you so you know you gave, you gave them that that space and and maybe you didn't know maybe you didn't know but once you become aware of it it's your responsibility responsibility to address that and repair that um and yeah. make sure that that never happens again and that's when we talk about that unlearning so okay mm-hmm. like we didn't realize that at first now that it's been brought to our attention there's no excuse 
Like this mm-hmm. is a problematic behavior that needs to be addressed. And if if my life partner or if our life partner, if they don't have our back, then what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Exactly. I remember recently, um, recently he had taken a few days off of work. And we were just going to get the house in order. When he went back, his coworker had asked what he did that weekend. He was like, I was just cleaning around the house. His coworker straight said, why are you cleaning? Don't you have a wife? So, <laughs> but um, that's him, disrespectful. <laughs> super disrespectful. <laughs> but he called. He uh, he called him out on it. Was like, that's that's super sexist. Don't talk like that. That's inappropriate. Like, she's my partner, yeah. not my maid. Like, what are we talking about? I also live here, so I, I appreciate that he stepped up and was like, no, that's not an okay thing to say. Like, what are we mm-hmm. even talking about? And if you're not. If you don't have your partner's back like that, what are we even doing? Everything else feels like a waste of time. Exactly. Exactly. Agreed. 110%. Um, I remember. Oh, God. No, go ahead. Remember. I, was, I remember too. I was just going to tell you about the first time that I met his family. <laughs> Say more. It's my, yeah, Say it's more. my favorite story ever because it was Thanksgiving. So the first time he has family, I have to meet his entire family for Thanksgiving. And he is still in Georgia. So he calls me and was like, hey. I'm running late because I'm driving. I need you to actually go to my mom's and help her make Thanksgiving dinner. So I've never met her before. And now I'm going to meet her by myself to help cook Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, okay, no problem. This is fine. I'll be fine. This is fine. So I go and um, his his mom and I share a personality in the fact where we're both extremely awkward and uncomfortable. So when I got there, I knocked on the door and she opened it. She didn't say anything at all. She looked at me and then turned around and walked away. So I was like, I've never met her. I don't know what she looks like. So I'm like, do I come in? Am I at the right house? Is this his mom? Like, what do, <laughs> do I stand here? Do I shut the door? Like, what do I do? <laughs> Like all of these emotions, I finally go in and it's it's like whole family was there. Like cousins, aunts, uncles, like everybody's there. And I was like, okay, so hi, (laughs) I'm Priscilla. Nice to meet you all. (laughs) So they put me, they were like, okay, you have to make the macaroni salad. And that was like, great. I don't cook. I cannot cook. And now I have to make macaroni salad. So I, they stick me in the, the macaroni salad station and I'm getting roasted the entire time. <laughs> no, it's not roasted because I'm confused and I'm uncomfortable. And I'm just like, and they're handing me all the stuff. They're handing me relish, mayonnaise, Miracle Whip, ranch dressing. They like open this cabinet full of all of these spices. And I was like, okay, this is a setup. So there's two things that are happening here. They're handing me all of this stuff because they want to make fun of me for putting it all in there mm-hmm. or they want to make fun of me for not seasoning it at all or appropriately. <laughs> so yeah. either way I'm about to get roasted. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. I'm just gonna, so I just put everything in it in this nasty, nasty macaroni salad that had just everything in it all together. And then they crushed it. They ate, they crushed this macaroni salad. David wouldn't even eat it. He was like, I don't know what you put in that, but that looks disgusting. And I was like, yeah, I know. So, but they loved it. <laughs> and wow. now I'm working that <laughs> <laughs> From that moment on, you was invited to the cookout. Yeah, I got roasted the whole time. They were like, what do white people eat Thanksgiving? And I'm like, I don't know, mayonnaise? Like, what do you want me to do? Oh, no. 
men is him just I don't know <laughs> it's like I've been self-deprecating I was like I'm <laughs> oh my gosh but, but I also come from a large family so I was like okay well if I'm being roasted then I'm being accepted so yeah. I'd rather I'd rather get roasted than nobody talk to me at all <laughs> how has your relationship with them um developed over the years I'm amazing. I feel like his, his family really accepted me from the jump. I mean, obviously there was some weirdness and I'll forever be the white girl, but they've immediately made me feel like I was part of the family and I love his family so much. Yeah. Um, we recently, we haven't had a lot of interactions because we've been so long distance. We live in mm-hmm. North Carolina when we go up for like the holidays and stuff. We usually only have like a day with each other's respective families. And then we have to split up because we have so many people that we need to do see and so many things we have to do. So it hasn't really been a lot of opportunities. But um, this last, a few months ago, I actually went to the Grand Canyon with his mom and some of the siblings. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we were, we were finally able to like really connect and they were yeah. able to kind of get to know me a little bit more than what they've actually been allowed to see with our very short minimum visits that we've had. Mm-hmm. And how was that but trip? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, I was a little... <laughs> David, leading up to the trip, he sat me down and lectured me. He said that he didn't, but he lectured me like every day for a week. I was like, don't, basically don't be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I know how to be a person. It'll be fine. <laughs> be be someone, but not you. Yeah, but not yourself. <laughs> okay, just, just calm down. <laughs> oh my but it was goodness. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, his sister and I, I've been forcing my love on her for the last 10 years. And I think we finally bonded. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we're going to be best friends. We're like sisters forever. So you're going to love me back. <laughs> no matter what. I know. And the three of us shared a room. And mm-hmm. I think that that was the first time that we were really able to kind of interact as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it kind of more solidified. I think I finally, she finally likes me. <laughs> After 10 years. I mean, she's always like, I know she loves me, you know? I yeah. Know she loves me. yeah. This, is the first, this is the first time that I was able to see it. I'm like, ah, you love me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> like I see it now. I'm never gonna forget. I'm never gonna let this go. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you were able to find um that person that that you're like for your forever person. And yeah. like there's so many people out there who I tr- and this is just me, but I truly believe that the way you know they were raised, whether they were whichever whichever way, and they're like you know don't date outside your race. I think there is maybe not all of them, maybe not everyone, but there are some people that actually absolutely lose out and miss out on their soulmate mm-hmm. because they they are scared or not wanting to go outside of uh, go outside of their race you know yeah and not even just race or if we're like or religion um, or 
yeah, religion or sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're told these things and then we're almost afraid to go against it um, because that our whole support system has these values that yeah. are strictly against it. So it does, it takes, it takes a, a lot of self bravery almost to be able to branch out and be like, okay, I might lose my entire support system, but this is worth the risk. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. I'm lucky that neither one of us lost our support system. And I'm super lucky that I have found in-laws that love me back because, you know, you always hear horror stories about yeah. in-laws and I feel yes. like both of our, our families both love us. So I think we're really lucky on that part as well. Yeah. There's, there's, we have- there's some, some terrible... <laughs> there's some scary stuff happening in the world, you know, and like that in-law thing is, um, is key because there's a lot of people who are like, well, you don't really need to get along with them. And do I, I don't think you necessarily need to get along with them, but I think that then puts a hindrance on the child and their parents that put, that puts a strain on that relationship. Yeah, because yeah. now they can't see them as often, or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. I just think think it's just so much easier um, yeah. to find. And then a, if there's like kids involved, and there's yeah. strain on that relationship, uh-huh. just, yeah. it's just it's a, it's a lot easier just to be able to find. Maybe it's just that one thing that y'all can agree on, or whatever the case may be, and that's what y'all talk about over and over and over again. Me, <laughs> I don't have that problem. Um, I don't think you have that problem, um, but you know, it's really good that we can share these types of stories and share these situations, um, because there's people out there who maybe they're scared to, you know, take that step and then they'll hear this conversation and they're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Do it. Do it. (laughs) it. Just do it. Here's your sign. This is your sign. (laughs) This is your sign right here, right now. Um, My favorite part is growing up, I have, I only have one sibling and we're not that close. We, we're civil. We rarely talk, but David has a ton of siblings and they're mm -hmm. all super close. So I love not only seeing that dynamic, but I love being able to be a part of that dynamic. Yeah. So it's so much fun for me. Every time we go home, because we're obviously from Jersey, so all of us are really loud. And then you have the siblings. <laughs> every time we go home, I lose my voice every time. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love being part of this. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Um, I'll look at, at like Bailey and her family and how they interact. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I get a little jealous. Because I, okay, I'm not the only one. I just wanted to say it. I wanted to say it so we can normalize it. And it's it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to say that because um, I, I didn't, I didn't, don't really have that. So I love watching it. I love watching her flourish when she's with her family. And I love yeah. absolutely being a part of it. And they make, they do everything they can, you know, to make me feel a part of it. Um, I know sometimes I like to give them their space because I know sometimes, you know, Bailey, you go because I'll stay here. Sometimes they just want to see you and it's okay. I under <laughs> I understand that. But you know, no, we're I a package deal I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but to sometimes feel just a little is it maybe jealousy or maybe just a, like a missing out on like what that family dynamic 
yeah. experience could have been like. Yeah, so. I feel the same way. I am envious a lot of times when I see the dynamic. And I'm like, damn, I wish that I had that growing up, especially because mm -hmm. they're all like super supportive and all very positive. And there's clearly so much love there. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just a different not saying that I didn't have love on my end, but it's just a very different dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I love seeing it. I love seeing it. Also, I love having a sister now. So yeah, shout out to yeah. her. <laughs> shout out to her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we could talk about this briefly because I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, what are your feelings on what's been going on here in America over the past two, three weeks? So this one, <laughs> um, I've been trying to really figure out how I feel mm -hmm. currently. Obviously the initial feelings, a lot of rage, um, a lot of anger, grief, sadness, pain. Um, I'm scared, there's a lot of fear. I'm scared for those who won't be able to get the healthcare that they need. Mm -hmm. I'm scared for those that will feel stuck and take drastic measures and yeah. put their life at risk. I'm scared. I'm scared for what this means moving forward, the precedent that it's set. Mm. I'm scared for the, what else they're gonna come for because this was a precedent, the entire concept why they overturned Roe was based off of the interpretation of the 14th Amendment, how this isn't historically what America is about. But if we're talking about historically what America is about, are we talking about when only cis white dudes had any voice, when people of color weren't people and women were property is that is that the foundation we're trying to get back to mm -hmm. because the 14th amendment gave us a lot yeah. and they're they're already talking about coming after same-sex marriage coming after same-sex relationships after contraception um and then if we're talking about historically interracial marriage is next because that's under the 14th amendment as well and historic american values that's not that's not something that we do here so I'm, I'm very afraid. Um, are we coming after voting rights? Mm -hmm. What else is next? There's already a case that the Supreme Court just, if you want to say it was Louisiana, which basically came after voters' rights. So the they were doing the majority minority of voters' rights in Louisiana. The Black population takes is a third of the population in Louisiana. But the way that they're doing the voter outlines, they are only allowing the Black population to have one out of the six seats mm -hmm. of the House of Representatives. So we're talking about how the lines here are racist and we're setting up the state to be like ran by the majority, which is two thirds of the state. Mm -hmm. and the Supreme Court viewed that that was fine. And this fall, the Supreme Court is going to view a case out of North Carolina which is coming at our fair and free election, which is basically saying that our state representatives should hold the power to decide if the election is run appropriately or if they have the right to override that and put their own representatives in place. 
So now we are already being told that these racist lines are fine, but now also that the state, who we are also told should hold the majority of white representatives, may now have the power to override what the people actually want. Mm-hmm. And this last election in 2020 shows us that they didn't like the way that the people spoke. Um, so I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid. What else? I feel like we're, we're taking a lot of steps backwards. Mm-hmm. And then on, so that's my broader fear. On a more personal fear is that I have a lot of trauma when it comes to my life. I feel like I haven't had a lot of body autonomy mm-hmm. my entire life. I was always just kind of a sexual object that didn't really have a lot of say in things that were done with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally, in my late 20s, early 30s, was finally at a point where I was like, no, I'm legitimately a person and I'm allowed to decide what does and doesn't happen to my body. Yeah. And now... The Supreme Court just said, nah, no, you don't. We actually do. So it's just, it's scary and it's traumatizing. I'm working through a lot of my own personal feelings that mm-hmm. are being coming to the surface. Um, so the, the best I can really say is right now, I'm just kind of scared and frustrated. Yeah, I agree. There's, um, I'm trying to make sense of it all. I always, for, well, not always, but for the past several years, oh, I almost put my same my leg in the same position that got me hemmed up the first time. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna need you to cut it. <laughs> um, there's, I, I've been saying that there's a certain level of understanding that I know I will never have. Um but I refuse to chalk this up to being one of them. Like we should, as a, as a people, as a nation, as a society, we should understand this. We should understand that as, as a human being, as a human being, um, you have a say in what happens to your body. Yeah. Um, they can't That's even, one of the they can't even take your organs if you don't, have that written consent if your driver's license doesn't say organ donor or if it's not in your will whatever the case may be they can't even take your organs when you die um so a cadaver has more body autonomy than somebody that is able to give birth at this point mm -hmm. and this is the only this is the only law that says your body needs to be utilized to save another life there is no other law on the books that says that you have to donate an organ, like you said, even after you're deceased, you have to give blood. There's no other law that says if you are the only person in this entire world that can save this other person's potential life, you have to do that. So I don't understand. It's to me, this is more about control and the precedent that to take away all of those other rights. Yeah, exactly. It's setting, it's like laying the foundation. Um, or should I say, um, breaking the foundation? Yeah. And it's it's crazy. And if we if we, I don't even want to say we. If those <laughs> in power that have decided this, if they truly cared about life, 
why are other things not putting, being put in place to help us? Why, why are kids still being shot at school? Why are we still struggling to live? Why is there no housing, any healthcare? Why? Mm -hmm. There's so many, why, like, what are you, I don't, there's, there was nothing else put in place besides the fact that we want to control those that are able to give birth. And in the, the leaked document, it specifically said that the domestic supply of infants was short. The domestic supply of infants. So we are nothing more than breeding cattle for the domestic supply of infants. And the right to access healthcare has always disproportionately affected those who have been ex- uh, historically excluded and low income families. Mm-hmm. So this is only going to make those two demographics lives even harder. Yep. And they're, and they're not offering any solutions for these forced births. Like who's paying the healthcare for these pregnancies? Who's the childcare? Like what, what's that coming from? Yeah. And it's been my experience that the same people that I'm having the conversation with that are happy about this decision are the same people that are having the conversations with me about the taxes being too high and people leaking off the system and utilizing resources. What, what, what is else it? are we going to do? Yeah. Like, do you what care else? about, mm-hmm. you care about life or not? Nah. It's, <laughs> It's very frustrating. Yeah. And and going back to my own trauma with always being, I have always been property of white dudes to do whatever they want. So if we come at same sex and they're racial, then now legally they're saying that, no, you don't actually have any choices to do what you want or to love who you want. You are legitimately property of white dudes to reproduce. I was just very frustrated. And this is why... This is why I watched Everybody Loves the Handmaid's Tale, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. loves that. I watched 45 minutes of the first episode and was in such a bad place mentally. I have never even had an inkling of trying to rewatch it. But it looks like it's it's about to go down. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't watch it either. It was way too... I, I read the book way long ago. And when it came out, I was like, okay, I'll watch it. But it's way, it was way too similar to mm-hmm. what is currently happening right now. And I was like, it, it, nah, it was, it was, it was too, too familiar. Yeah. Like, like it was, it made way too much sense to me. Like the logic behind it, the structure behind it made too much sense for me to watch that and be entertained by it because that is terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. And the the whole concept was leading up to, they're like talking about the little red flags that kind of were here, that were overlooked, that got them to this point. And I'm like, we're literally living all of those red flags. They're waving. (laughs) (laughs) They're like right there. They're waving and everybody's like, oh, you're being dramatic. Oh, no. No, we're not being dramatic. This, it happened. What we just said was going to happen, happened. And they literally said that they were coming after the precedents that it had put in place. Mm -hmm. They're tough. They're not. 
they're not, not shying away from it. No, they're literally telling us what they're going to do. And then when we are like, this is not okay if they do it, now we're being dramatic or we're alarmist. They're, they're telling us what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, I, the, I don't know, cognitive disassociation that people have with it is just, I don't know if that's the right word, that's outside of my scope of practice, but... <laughs> But, but the, the people are so ignoring. Their way of, yes, their way of, yeah. like, purposely, maybe purposely, blissfully ignoring um, the absolute horror that we're facing um, yeah. with, with, with Roe v. Wade, with the continued police brutality against Black okay. and Brown people. Um, it's just, it's just mind-boggling, like I said, um, there's no reason why anyone should be shooting. There's no reason why someone should have been shot 60 times. And there's no reason for five police officers to shoot 90 bullets, 90 rounds at one person. No, there's no reason at all. And if we want to talk about how we're making society better and how we're saving lives, why are we not addressing these issues? Why are we only trying to save one potential life like why are we not worry about the lives that are already here exactly exactly but these aren't a problem and we're constantly just being silenced when we speak out against it and it's just it's infuriating Mm -hmm. it's infuriating yeah yeah like and then um there's there was another guy who got arrested and they put him in the back of a paddy wagon and drove the bumpy way which is a term that i learned when i was in school um, which is sharp cuts, sharp turns, going over speed bumps, fast as hell, just basically having that person thrown back there like a rag, yeah, like a rag doll, just being thrown all around. And it got to, it got so bad that he like snapped his neck and he's paralyzed. They didn't believe him. They pulled him out by his legs, threw him in a cell, I, I know I know it was like hours before medical treatment was ever given. Like how how is any of that okay? And then right before Roe v. Wade, they actually said that we can no longer sue police departments if they do not read us the Miranda rights. Yeah. Oh, who is that yeah. going to impact the most? That's going to impact the disenfranchised, the the ill-informed, the mm-hmm the marginalized people that have that they've been attacking this entire time Mm -hmm. and then let's not forget the school to prison pipeline yeah with all these forced births and these disenfranchised and historically left out communities we're not forcing these births we're keeping them undereducated and now we're putting them right back into the system that is now benefiting those off their labor yeah off their free labor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 yeah, and it's, and it's transparent. They're telling us this is what they're doing, and we're just blatantly ignoring it. And by where, I mean, there's a very specific demographic that is ignoring it, mm-hmm. um, mostly because they are not experiencing any of the repercussions from it. They have this, they're like woefully ignoring because they have all of this privilege that they don't want to acknowledge, and mm-hmm. they're just, this isn't happening because it's not happening to me specifically. It's, it's so you comfortable. must be making it up. That's it's comfortable. That's where 
those lived experiences and being able to share that and that other person believing them, that's where that mm. is so paramount and so key because I can sit here and tell you what I went through, how it made me feel and all of that. But if you, if you already have it made up in your mind that that's not true, it's not true mm-hmm. because you don't experience it or whatever your reasoning is behind it that you're not believing. We're yeah. going to continue to complete to, to continue in the cycle of the blissfully ignorant and the dangerously aware. Mm-hmm. The dangerously aware. Yeah. Yeah. The other frustrating concept of that is how when people say, no, we can't have conversations anymore. We can't have conversations anymore. Um, people don't want to change their minds. They don't want to change their mind. They are only talking just so they can prove that they're right and you're wrong. There's no, there's no headway in the conversation. They're not, they're not taking the lived experiences as facts. Like this is, it's not, it's not your place to say that this is how they feel or not. And then they're not doing any research on it either. They just wanted to prove that you're wrong so they can just continue living their blissful life. Mm-hmm. It's just very frustrating and for me personally I'm having a very hard time um not blaming certain people in my circle um there because there's obviously on in my orbit all the time shout out to you Uh Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm constantly auditing my orbit but there are still certain people that like I don't know I don't even know the word, but I feel like I have to. Like they're they're going to be in your orbit. Yeah, they just have to be out of obligation or otherwise. Um, I'm having a hard time not resenting them for the way that they, the circle that they keep, Mm -hmm. um, the mindset that they have, the belief system that they have, the way that they're voting. I'm having a really hard time. And then for them to come and be like, I don't know how this happened. I just want to be like, you, you yeah. are how this happened. Yep. I don't know how this happened. Here, let me get you a compact mirror. Yeah, there's no secret. There's no secret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's I, the, the biggest thing that I'm having a hard time with right now. And again, they're so hard to have a conversation with because they don't either don't want to hear it or they're just so stuck in their belief system that they can't see it. Yes. Um, one of my favorite teachers, shout out to Mr. Stevens. Um, we were talking about, because I I was always the, the one in class that was challenging a lot of what we were talking about because it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, just to, to be quite frank and clear a lot of what we were talking about is is just it just doesn't sit right because it's not right because it's not right and he's he looked at me he was like Aaron well he wasn't saying this like him saying it but he was (laughs) saying it like I just want to be clear because Mr. Stevens is that guy he said Aaron do not confuse me with the facts because I've already made up my mind that was the I will never ever forget those words um 
because that is what a lot of people hold they're holding on to their mind is already made up they're not really looking to change it um I hold out hope that someone somewhere has the strength and the mental capacity and the 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 patience to to help them along the way because they need help on their journey I just know for a fact that I am not the one to provide that help. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I, I have grown a bit combative and borderline aggressive in some of these conversations that I'm having, but it's, it's because, and I'll be met with, well, you need to meet this person where they are. You need to understand where they're coming from. First of all, no. Okay. Nobody ever, the conversations ever meet me where I am or understand where I'm coming from. So I'm not going to do it that way, but also you can tell when this person does not want to change their minds. They are not here to have that conversation. They are not here for it. So they are going to get the energy that they deserve from mm, this conversation. They are going to get the energy they deserve from this conversation. Yes, and sometimes yes. that is telling them to F off. Like I'm not... I'm not doing this. Like you have, we are in an age where you have all of the resources at your disposal. You can easily go look this up. Nobody owes you the intellectual labor or emotional labor to help you get there. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'll do it when necessary. But I refuse to meet people where they are if they don't want to meet me in the middle. Yeah. I call that, um, what, what did I, oh. I had a, I, I coined the term, which it probably isn't, it wasn't, it uh, wasn't even mine. It's just something I thought about. And I was like, oh, I like that. I'm gonna keep it. Um, <laughs> willful ignorance. Yeah. Willful ignorance. Like you, at this point, I've given you information. I've given you new information. And, and if you're still confused or lost or don't understand it's because you're choosing to be, and I know that my services are no longer needed or appreciated or necessary, and I'm just going to keep on living my life, and that's it, because I don't, yeah. I, I, I will always be a teacher. I will always um, be a coach. I will always inspire, um, but it will always be those who want to be taught, who want to be coached, who want to be inspired. Yeah. I will that never part. ever force Mm-mm. anything on anyone. So I will help you. I will guide you. I'll help you find the resources, but I'm not going to kill myself if you don't even want to change your mind mm-hmm. or if you don't want to try to learn or see it from a perspective that's outside of yourself. I won't do it. Yeah. Um, dang, I was going to piggyback off of that and I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> This 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 whole conversation like turned out to be like super fire. Um, oh, I know what I wanted to say. Go ahead. The, the past recent years, the past recent years, there has been a uptake in a very specific cult like mentality, which is also very hard to talk to. And that's another one where I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to put any emotional labor into trying to educate you because this is a very cult-like mindset Mm -hmm. and I don't have the skills to help you see anything else. So that's another one where I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, I don't want to say it's a lost cause because there's obviously some kind of mental 
things happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, outside of my scope of practice, like there's nothing, I can't help this person. Yeah. That person has to, um, they're going to have to figure it out or they're going to continue to live in the way they're living. And it's obviously it's not fine. Um, Mm -mm. but I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a lot or most or almost any of my energy. I got a lot of positivity going, going through these veins. Yeah. Listen, if you ever make me step out of character, Give them the energy they deserve. <laughs> they get they get the energy they deserve. It might not be what they want, not might not be what they're expecting, but it's definitely what you deserve. So yeah, yeah. If if anything, this the past several years have taught me my own boundaries mm. that I need, and those specific people I won't allow in my energy field. I just mm-hmm. won't allow it. Um, and it has been, I've gotten some pushback from certain people that I still feel obligated to have a relationship with, mm-hmm. but outside of that small percentage of people, the rest of them, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You are either going to change and adjust to my boundaries or you're going to have to stay over there. Yeah, absolutely. But this, this needs to be, so I feel like I'm constantly auditing per your book. Uh, <laughs> The, the give and take needs to be equal. The exactly. The value method. <laughs> <laughs> Should have had mine available. <laughs> but I'm constantly, the, the give and take in any relationship that I'm in needs to be equal. If I feel like it's starting to get lopsided and I am giving and they are taking, then it's got to go. And that mm-hmm. includes those conversations. Not doing yeah. it yeah absolutely absolutely also i don't want to be around anybody that thinks myself or my husband is less than for any reason whatsoever you do not allow a place in my life like like it's it's funny because there's a a post going around on facebook and it's like we can disagree and still be friends like it's it's a white guy holding up a cardboard sign and it says that and i'm just like we can disagree. Oh. On a, we can disagree on a lot of things. I will never waver on my morals and ethics. There's yeah. no, we can't. And if your opinion is based on certain demographics of people not having humanity, no, we absolutely cannot be we, friends. No, we can't. And that's actually toxic energy that I don't need in my space and in, in my orbit. So yeah, we can disagree I, um, on if, if pineapple longs on pizza um you know or this pothole like should be friends, fixed like <laughs> but i'm yeah. not disagreeing on who has rights to do this and that and no yeah and it always be the people whose rights have never been in question ever ever they've never had a supreme <laughs> court case deciding if they deserve right no i'm not doing it i took a stance a few years ago on my social media that was like, if you X, Y, Z, we are not friends. Um, you are not allowed in my life. I don't have time for you. Um, and it turns out that X, Y, Z was more family members than I was anticipating. Uh-huh. So that post turned into a complete dumpster fire. And I was like, stand by my decision, bye. <laughs> <laughs> To this day, we still don't talk. And I know that it bothers um, certain people that I keep in my life. But I 
No, I said what I said. I drew that line in the sand and you can't see why. And I was very objective and clear on why this is unacceptable. And mm-hmm. if you refuse to educate yourself on that, well then I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Have a great life. Have a great life. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. All right. Um, Priscilla, how can we support you? Where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at P Fleming Massage. That's P F L E M I N G Massage. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, where can we purchase your book? You can either get it through, I have links on both of my social, or you can find it on Amazon. It's called The Body Worker's Guide to Soft Tissue Pain Management. It's a very quick reference guide on pain referral patterns. So specific muscles, if they get overloaded, this is the pain and the symptoms that you might be experiencing. But I do have a second edition coming out. Ooh. It goes a little bit, I know, I'm super excited about it. Um, in my grieving <laughs> process that I've been going through, that is one of the things that have taken the back burner, uh, but that'll be out by the end of summer, I'm sure. Perfect. Um, but it goes more in depth. So it explains what these muscles are, it explains why these pain patterns happen the way they do, and then what we can do, like self-care wise, what stretches, like how we can fix it on our own. Mm-hmm. So it's a little more textbooky and educational versus the quick reference that is under the assumption that we already have some basic knowledge on what's going on gotcha perfect perfect okay one final question i'm gonna let you get out of here you ready yes <laughs> what does resilience mean to you resilience seems to me the ability to pivot we're constantly pivot. Getting... sorry Just pivot <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually watched that show, but I know the reference. <laughs> Listen, I only watched them because of Bailey. Uh. <laughs> I was guessing that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the ability to pivot. We're, and life's constantly throwing stuff at us, constantly. We're always going to have some obstacles that we can do, but it's the ability to move forward anyway and understand that there is more than what's in front of us right now. There's like a large, a larger picture and just the ability to continue to show up for yourself and the people that are relying on you, mm-hmm. regardless of the obstacles that we're facing. Absolutely. That's resilience in action. Resilience in action. Yes. Pivoting. Pivot. Pivot. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Priscilla, thank you so, so very much for spending a little bit of time with us today. I know um, I took out a bigger chunk than I expected. I apologize for that, but I, okay. it doesn't go pleasure. not appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. I'm oh. glad we were able to have this conversation. I Absolutely. feel like this, this conversation went a different turn than I was expecting the conversation to go. It was like, it, it was like, we good, we good, we good. Oh, speed bump, speed bump. Oh, spike. <laughs> like it was but it's such a good conversation because these are one of the, this is one of the talks that we need to be having more. Like we need to be having these conversations and, and um, being able to show up authentically and open and talk about stuff that that's a little tough to talk about, you know, so yeah. it's necessary. Yeah. It's, it's hard to have those conversations, but like you said, they're so, so needed. We need to have these conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having the conversation with me. Thank you. Bye. See ya.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Resilience in Action with Erin Brown. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And I want you to remember one thing. Resilience in action will always lead to a greater human experience.